Welcome to each one. What a delight to be here today. I have just been blessed in so many ways. Thank you, Debbie and Delilah, for urging your children to sing. And uh, what a what a privilege to have youth that honor and glory of the Lord. Beautiful songs, wonderful. Well, we are grateful for each one that's here. We uh, realize that the message that is the Lord laid on my heart to share this morning may be a little bit uh, uh, of a different type of a message. Um, I've given the title as a question form, What About Infertility? And of course, for you who are visiting, this might seem like a little bit of, a, of, a, of an odd a title for a message, but uh, it's based on a series that I'm doing called Strengthening Families, and the last message that I preached was on the, the whole concept of Jesus' attitude concerning children and what the Western attitude is that we bump into, and the whole Planned Parenthood agenda. And, you know, interestingly enough, I just heard more of that even this past week, some teaching on that, and uh, realizing that it's even probably deeper than what it appears like even on the surface. But really, if you break it down, that whole concept really has its roots in Marxism. That's pretty, that's, pretty, uh, that's pretty serious. And um, so anyhow, so we, I just felt like God was laying it on my heart to share a message realizing that there are those who have not been able to have children and, and uh, face the whole, uh, the whole concept, the whole um, um, experience of infertility and um, I just believe that God has something to say to us about that and so this morning I would just invite you to stand I'm going to have you read off the powerpoint if you stand we'll read the text that uh, we'll be looking at this morning and uh, Psalm 139, can you all see that if you can't? I, I put it in the New King James Version, so uh, that's why I put it on the PowerPoint so that we could all uh, read it together. Let's start with verse 7, verse 7 together. Go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand and your right hand shall hold me. If I darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not fear, but the night shall stay, and the darkness and the light are both to light to you. For you formed my inward part, you covered me in my womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, 
my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. Pause for a word of prayer. Father, as we look into your word, we just ask that you would rightly divide it to our hearts, bring understanding and clarity to it. Lord, guide my lips as I share what I feel that the Spirit has put on my heart to share with everyone in preaching the word this morning. Commit ourselves to you. In your name we pray. And I pray, Father, for every couple here that has faced this whole um, experience of infertility. Just to them. Give them hearts of understanding, and may you minister to the pain that is there and the uh, desire um, to hold a child that uh, they would have of their own. Lord, I would pray that you'd minister grace to them. And may we uh, who have not faced that be able to wrap our hearts in our arms around them and encourage them along the way. Direct us and keep us. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I told the pastors this morning that it's probably one of the more difficult messages that I've ever prepared. And uh, of course, I'm sure and I certainly am aware that thus saith the Lord passages of Scripture that really speak to this subject. That Scripture has principles that apply to every situation in life. And that's what we want to look at this morning. We want to look at principles that I believe we can find that applies both to those who have not been able to have children and to those who do not, they may have uh, one or two or, or several children, but are limited to the amount of children that they can have and that they would desire to have more. I think both of the principles apply to each one. And a lot of the principles even apply to the rest of us. So we want to look to the Lord to show us um, what he has for us. I think we would all agree that God is the promoter of the conjugal family. I don't think there's anyone here that would dispute that. And so the wrestling question that we want to grapple with this morning, again, what I shared last and before, not last Sunday, but the last time I preached, the Lord is the promoter of family. this morning to be fruitful and multiply to replenish the earth then what and why are there childless couples why are some not able to have as many as they would desire and we're aware that this is the reality of life and um, infertility I think I can only speak from, not out of experience, but individuals that I've talked with already. And I can only imagine that infertility might be one of the most difficult experiences a couple could face. 
in their marriage. And so I'm very aware of the pain area of this situation. And uh, I want to be very sensitive to that as we share this morning. And uh, just look to the aid of the Holy Spirit to, to handle this subject delicately. And I understand also whenever I, I, I preach a message like this that it, it seems to target a, a certain group. But because we are family, it affects all of us. And so it's not just certain individuals. It, it's, it's part of the uh, instruction for all of us. I came from a family with five siblings. And out of those, out of us six children, I have a sister. What am I doing? <clears throat> see if that'll help. Out of the six of us children, I have a sister who is not married, who has expressed her desire to be a, a wife and a mother, but for whatever reasons, that has not happened. I have another sibling who has not been able to have any biological children, although that was a desire of their hearts. And I have a third sibling who was only able to have one child, even though they would have desperately desired more children. And uh, I have uh, often asked myself the question, why? Um, and I'm sure my parents probably have. I don't know that I've ever really talked to them about it. But uh, I, am sh uh, I know that, you know, out of six children where there's not just a lot of cousins and and uh, I've wondered why God has not uh, has chosen to to respond the way He has. And so, even though I have not personally been affected by this, I have to a degree that it's something that's very close in my family. And so, I I am aware of it. Um, Glad and I, on the other hand, have been the stewards of six children. And uh, that does not make us any better or, or any less than the person who has none or the one who has 10 or 12 or 15. Um, never do I read in Scripture, in the Gospels, that the Lord judges, that Jesus judges the amount of what is given to an individual. Uh, but what was judged was the level of stewardship that was exercised or executed on the resource that has been given. That is something that God does judge. And uh, so we want to look at that. How well do we do with what has been given to us? That is important to Jesus. And I think it's important for us right now just to sort of hit the pause button before we go much further into the uh, message <clears throat> And it's, it's been an awareness that has been growing on me over the years, in the past several years. But I've slowly been becoming aware of a, a philosophy that is prevalent in our, in our Western culture. And maybe not in the culture at large as much as in the evangelical Western culture. And what I would refer to as the prosperity gospel, or what I think it really boils down to as the prosperity gospel, <clears throat> in the sense that there's this philosophy that we measure God's blessings 
we're on the basis of commodities that have been given to us. And uh, it's, it's maybe around us more than what we think. In other words, how many times have you heard people say, I know I've been guilty. I don't know if the, word, the term guilty is correct. I know I've been, uh, I've said it. But how many times have we heard the phrase, God has blessed me with children? Well, the question we have to ask ourselves is, has God then not blessed the person who has no children? I think it's a legitimate question to ask, not? God has blessed me with children, but then what do we do with the couple who is not able to have children? And I think, though we may not believe that God's blessing is withheld from them, I think by insinuation, we're sort of buying into that prosperity gospel that we measure blessings with commodities or with things that are given to us. I don't read, and, and I may have overlooked it, and you bring it to my attention if, if I have, but I'm not aware of anywhere in Scripture that it says that children are a blessing to us. I think I just said it in my last message. In fact, I think it was one of the points. But as I began to contemplate and look at this, it does say that children are a heritage from the Lord, and we see times that God blessed the children. We used that passage there in uh, the Gospels last time. But, uh, but I think this passage in, in, in Psalm 127, where it says that they're a heritage, only reiterates the fact that they're not ours. They're, they're given to us to, 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 to be stewards of them. How many times have you heard people say that God has blessed me with a house or God has blessed us with a home? Well, what about the person who's, who's renting? <laughs> Are they then not blessed? Maybe those who have less things to manage have a better, are better stewards of their time and of the resources that they've been given than those who have a lot of things to manage. Uh, what about God has blessed our business and, and gave us the means to pay off our debt? Well, what about the, the businessman that has worked just as hard as you? In fact, maybe he's put in longer hours to try to sustain his business, and yet it failed. Is he then not blessed? What about the person, the senior who's talking to another uh, senior, and they say, you know, God has blessed me with good health. Well, what about several months ago when Sister Martha fell and broke her hip? Was she, was she not blessed? Or what about the person that has a lifelong battle with failing health? Are they not blessed? And I think it, it's important for us to think, to pause and think about that a little bit. I, and I think, what, the, I think what, we're, what I'm seeing is there's a subtle philosophy that equates blessings with commodities. And, uh, and, and this philosophy is actually based in an Old Testament concept that has morphed into what I would call the prosperity gospel. 
Maybe not the prosperity gospel as we think of it in the blatant way where, you know, you give your tithe to this amount of tithe and God will bless you with such and such a thing. But, but it's a more subtle type of prosperity that we think about. Tangible things don't necessarily equate blessings, which is really the, 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 uh, the, the first principle that we want to look at this morning. The first one that I want to look at this morning is that managerial faithfulness, or what we refer to sometimes as stewardship, is of greater importance than tangible measures, things that we can measure tangibly. It is time, I think, that we get off this idea that, the, that God's degree of blessing is measured by the things that we have or what we don't have. The notion really simply does not ring true with the character of Jesus Christ. If that were the case, then we really could not label Christ or Jesus as being fair. This is particularly true when it comes to issues of children and married couple. I think a greater measure of God's blessing is, uh, is not imparted to uh, the couple that has children than to the couple who may not have been given any children. This is the way that we think sometimes. So the blessing has not changed between the two couples, the one that have children, the one that, hasn't ch have, uh, that don't have children, but the degree of responsibility changes. So it is true that the responsibilities aren't, are, are, aren't the same, but... Both couples are equally required to give an account of what has been given to them. So this is true for everything. The ones that we just mentioned, those situations that we just mentioned. The person who has, who has been given good health has not been blessed with good health, but they have been, and here's the key word I want you to get a hold of, okay? They have been entrusted with good health. They become stewards of that good health. They are now more responsible with that good health than if they would not have it. So we become stewards of what has been entrusted to us. The person that has, that has purchased a home has not been blessed with a home. They become, they, they've been entrusted with the responsibility of managing a home, a house. The businessman has not been blessed with a successful business. He is simply given managerial uh, jurisdiction over that, over that business, and it becomes his prerogative to be able to manage that well because someday he will give an account to the owner of the business. See, we have to start thinking in terms of what we have and what we don't have. God owns it all. Friends, hear me out. Sometimes the person, like I said before, Sometimes the person who has less has actually, be, actually become better stewards of the resources that God gives to them. And I know this is counterintuitive to our Western way of thinking. It is hard for us to wrap our minds around the fact that what God calls a blessing and what we call a blessing are two different things. I have said it many times. I'm so blessed that we live in a land where we can come together and worship unhindered. 
and where we don't have to face the enemy and that we have the freedom of worship. What does Jesus say? Jesus said, blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of, of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. That's what the next verse is. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. And, and, and Brother Laverne's been teaching us in the Beatitudes on these blessings. You see, blessings, the way I think of blessings is completely different from how God looks as blessing. I think it's a blessing that I don't have to face persecution. Jesus said, blessed are you if you face persecution for my sake. And I, I, I just admit, I'm here to say this morning, I don't think in those terms. I tend not to think in those terms. Blessed are you if you're a peacemaker, when you're merciful, when you mourn, when you hunger and thirst. That's the person that is blessed. Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But the blessed person is he who delights in his law day and night and meditates in it day and night. That's a person who is blessed. It's so opposite from what we tend to think. You see, these are things that come right from Scripture that talk about what is a true blessing. And each of us qualify for these blessings, whether you have children or whether you don't have children, whether you own a house or whether you don't own a house, whether you struggle with your health or whether you don't struggle, or anything else. Things that we tend to think are blessings maybe are not so much blessings as things that have been entrusted to you. What is a blessing is available to everyone. So the key to making sense in life is not to measure our blessings with what we have or don't have. Rather, to focus on what Christ wants us to be. God allows us to face tough situations in order for us to grow. And it is in those moments when we face those tough situations that we need to anchor ourselves in Christ and allow him to do the good work in our hearts that he wants to do in our lives. I know it's a longing. It's innate within a couple, particularly a mother or a, or a woman, to, to mother a child. It's something that God has put, a desire that God has put within you. And so it is a legitimate desire. And, and I believe it's a God-given desire. However, some things are entirely out of our control to handle and to manage. And this is one of them. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later on in the message. When we face this kind of situation, we must anchor ourselves in Jesus Christ and truly understand what generates a blessing. And so the question that I think all of us need to answer is, am I faithful with what God has given to us? Am I a good manager? Am I a good steward of what God has given to us? How well do I manage? And, uh, and that is our responsibility. That is my responsibility it is, God's it is God's responsibility to determine what the resources are that he gives to his creation. And that's the next point in our message. 
is that the creation is subject to the creator. We must understand that the creation, and I think we would all agree, that the creature is subject to the creator. And as a, re, as a result, the creator has the right, and I would say, and the ability to determine what should be given to each creature to manage, including children. That is the creator's responsibility. I've quoted the verse before, and I'll quote it again right here. Psalm 127, verse 3. Children are a heritage from the Lord. An inheritance is simply a gift that is endowed from one person to another. Now, unfortunately, there are many families who have faced a lot of family struggle and issues and many money fights over inheritances. And not only is that kind of greed uh, pathetic, if we pause long enough to think about it, 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 we realize really how foolish it is to fight over an inheritance. I have no right to expect an inheritance from my parents. I have no right to expect that even if I'm a child of theirs. If they choose to give me something upon their death, that is simply out of the goodness of their heart and, and the, their character. It's just something that they give out of their character. But I have no right to expect that inheritance. Gifts should never be expected. Now, we realize that parents often do give, uh, give their children inheritance. But parents are still not obligated to do so. And I would just say this, that neither is God required to give the gift of a child to any couple or anyone or, or, or anything else for that matter. If he chooses to do so, it is simply out of his generous, benevolent character. If he chooses to give children or to withhold children from a married couple, it is his prerogative to do so. We should not hold an angry fist in the face of God because of that. Because we are the creature and he is the creator. The creator owes his creation nothing. And here's where we oftentimes get mixed up. Since his character, since the creator, God the Father, his character is rooted in his benevolence, in who he is as a God of love, and he is extremely kind to his creation, we tend to grow an expectation from him uh, for his generosity. And that's wrong. Uh, I, I understand that, that he is someone who can be trusted. He doesn't change. And so to that degree, we can expect his generosity. But in our minds, we formulate what that looks like. See, we tend to, to in our minds, have a, have, a, have a picture, have an image of what that generosity looks like. So... We need to be very careful. The other thing I would just mention that 
we understand that, that God did give us the instruction to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. But I would also like to say that that, that instruction came before sin entered into the world. And sin has changed so many dynamics since that time. And uh, sin has tainted the creation. And as a result, we live in those consequences. So I would just like to say here too that, that pregnancy is not based on random chance as some would have you believe. The creator is the source of life and we must trust him to govern that part of his creation, which brings us up to the third point. And the third point is simply that the creator governs his creation. If the science behind pregnancy is simply a function of biological pro probability, as some would have us believe, then the possibility for any couple to birth a child would simply be based or solely be based on random chance. The, this atheistic idea was birthed when the creator was removed from the, from, from the process of, of birth or from the process of life. Of from this whole equation. It is, not, it is not difficult to see the progression this, per, uh, this philosophy um, um, promotes. And even to the degree of what we talked about in our last message, this whole idea of, of planned parenthood and, 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 and the, the genocidal atrocity of, of abortion, because they've removed the creator from this whole equation. And so when we do that, then, of course, there's a natural path that this will logically conclude to. So the philosophy, this philosophy removes the creator from the, and, and, and puts the creation in charge. But we do not believe, we do not believe in random chance. Rather, we believe that the creator and it is he who opens and closes the womb according to his will. And this may be the, the, the key phrase in this whole message, that, that the creator is the one who is in control of opening and closing the womb at his will. I think getting a firm grip on that truth brings a lot of stability to those who face infertility. Again, I'm not calling you to ignore the pain or the desire for you to have children. That is a very legitimate um, reality for you. <clears throat> it's a very real struggle. But what I would call you to is in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that desire, I would call you to wrap your hearts and your minds around the fact that you have not just been dealt a bad hand. This is not a random chance. This is not a probability that went bad. There is a God who is governing his creation. Your condition is not missing his attention. And I would also say that your prayers are not being ignored. But I think if we are ever going to reach any level of peace 
about this situation that I think we must believe. We must believe that we are not the mere recipients of random chance. There's plenty of evidence, and, and I would just like to take you to, to two different ways that we see evidence of this creator being in charge. The first one I want to look at is the biblical evidence. And I'm just going to go through this very quickly. I want to show you the way there's many couples who looked at pregnancies and had a clear understanding that there is a creator behind everything. I'm just going to go through these passages of scripture rather quickly. Genesis chapter 4 verse 1, the first mother that uh, had a child said, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. The first mother recognized where this child came from. God was intrinsically involved in this pregnancy, beyond a shadow of a doubt in her mind. Genesis 16, verse 10. And this is where uh, Hagar um, was kicked out of the house of, of, of Abraham. And uh, the, the angel ministered to her. And the angel said, uh, the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so that they shall not be counted for multitude. Now, how could this angel declare this, this prophecy if, the, if there was not a creator that was in control of it. There was no random chance encounter here. I will multiply. The same thing was spoken to Abraham. Genesis 17 verse 2. I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. This is what we refer to as the Abrahamic covenant that God made with Abraham. The creator was doing the multiplying. Later on when they went down to, when Abraham went down to, to Egypt and uh, Abimelech had taken Sarai, Sarai his, uh, his wife, it says here that Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants, and they bore children for the Lord had, who had? The Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. This was not a random rant's encounter that Abimelech faced and his servants faced. Genesis 21, verse 1 and 2. This was where the Lord had given a, the promise of a child to Abraham and Sarah. And the Lord visited Sarah. As he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah, as he spoken for Sarah conceived and bore a, uh, Abraham a son in his old age at the set time. And that means an appointed time or a fixed time of which God had spoken to him. God fertilized the egg at just the right moment. The creator, and you know, this is the amazing part of it. The creator is able to weave biology Science, divine appointment, uh, human choices, and work it out at the appointed time. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. Genesis 25, verse 21. 
This is Isaac. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Isaac went right to the source for his dilemma. He realized that life came from the Creator, and that's where he went to because he knew uh, he was praying uh, to the right source. Genesis 29, verse 11, uh, verse 31 and 34. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Um, what we see next in Genesis 30, it's the same situation between Rachel and Jacob. Listen to the cry of Jacob and listen to Jacob's response. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And I think here's just a response that we see of how innate, how how. God-given that desire is for a, for a woman to hold her own child. Give me a child or else I die. But listen to Jacob's response. Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he says, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of his womb? Jacob was well aware of the process. He understood that it was completely out of his scope of control. But like I said, we can also see the other side of it, where we see Rachel's desire to have a child. And I think maybe just a word of caution, I think, especially for you, for you wives who, who have no children, that we need to be very careful what kind of pressure that we place on the husband. He's not in the place of God that he can control this. And so I think we need to be careful about that. Genesis 30. <clears throat> Later on, the same situation, a, verse, a couple verses later, it says, Then God remembered Rachel, God listened to her, and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz and Ruth uh, took Boaz, and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. The Creator arranged this pregnancy knowing that the birth of His Son was going to come through this lineage. And so I ask you the question, was there anything random about this pregnancy? No, God was in charge. He knew what needed to happen. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 6-20, this is the account of Hannah when she wanted a child. And uh, Elkanah, his wife, would give him a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb and her, and her uh, revile, uh, rivals also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. They realized that it was God who shut the womb. And then later on in that same passage of Scripture, after they had worshipped back at the temple, and returned, they came to their house at Ramah. Elkanah knew Hannah's wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived. 
and bore his son. And again, it was just, it was because God was intricately involved in this process. Scripture doesn't say that Hannah was barren because she had a tipped uterus. It says that God visited her and she conceived. I'm not saying that there's no situation that are medically related, but there is a, a creator who is in control. Later on, it says that Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife. And the Lord, and, he, and this is what he said to her, the Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord because of what they gave Samuel, his, their son. Then they would go to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two more daughters. So they had six children that God gave them when at first she was completely barren. Psalm 100, verse 1, or verse 3. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us. And not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pastor. He made us. He formed us. And the, the, the passage that we used for our, for our text this morning. You formed the inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought. That phrase there, that skillfully wrought, means has the idea of embroidering, uh, variegating in color, fabricating. And so it's like a tapestry that God, that God was making, makes when he, when he creates a, a child. He's, he's embroidering it. He's putting it together. He's fashioning it. Let's just stand for a change of position. It feels a little warm and stuffy, and I see a lot of nodding of heads. So let's just stand for the last couple passages. Job, chapter 10. Your hands, your hands, Job says, your hands have made me and fashioned me an intricate unity. Yet you would destroy me. Remember, I pray that you have made me like clay, and you will return me into dust again. So Job realized he was, he, there was a creator who was behind him. Isaiah 44, verse 5. Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from my mother's womb. And Jeremiah 1, verse 4 through 5, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the, in the womb, before, listen to that, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Isn't that amazing? I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you and ordained you to be a prophet of the nations. You may be seated. Well, there's other passages of Scripture, biblical evidences that we could look at. But for the sake of time, I want to, I want to move on. And I'd like to go just briefly into some scientific evidence that points to a creator. When I looked at this text, I had never noticed this verse before. Did you all catch that verse when we read it together? Verse 16. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. Can you wrap yourself around that one? Your eyes saw my substance before I was, or being yet un, uh, unformed. And in your book, 
they were all written. The complexity of God's design in creation points to an inevitable creator. Proof of a divine creator, I know, can be seen in the dazzling enormity of the universe and space. And we've had some of that teaching here when we look at the galaxies and the stars and the mind-boggling vastness of God's creation, his design. It cannot happen with a Big Bang. It's just impossible. But the complexity, the, 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 the details, the, the intricacy of his minute details also points to a God who is, who is well, it, it, I can't even wrap my mind around the truths of his design. And I certainly don't claim to even come close to understanding all of it. The human reproductive system is one such amazing component. And what I want to share with you this next couple minutes, I want to be very discreet in what I share with you, uh, particularly in a mixed audience. But I'll tell you, if we think about his complex design, it can also just cause us to worship. A girl typically, when she is born, carries between one to two million ovum at birth. Now this dwindles significantly by the time she is an adult. By the time she's adult, typically they would carry about 300,000 potential babies inside them. Yet only a few, five, six, 12 possibly, 15 maybe, a larger family, 18, 20, but very few in comparison to the 300 potential ewes that are born. Out of 300,000, God selected you. Isn't that amazing? Did you catch that verse? <laughs> what was he talking about? Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. He saw which one of the 300,000 would be you. It wasn't random choice. It wasn't a probability. It was God, a creator, who selected you. But it becomes even more staggering as we think about it in, in uh, the, more of the uh, uh, details as it wraps around this. The information that each ovum carries is just the size of a pinhead, and yet it contains 60 million molecules. <laughs> I mean, we can't even, I, I can't, trillion, thank you. 60 trillion, yeah. Well, we could wrap our minds around 60 million, couldn't we? <laughs> 60 trillion, 60 trillion, the size of a pinhead. Each cell has between three to five million typewritten codes that are inscribed on that cell. 
Now, these codes contain what we refer to as special DNA, uh, a ladder carrying traits from your mother's ancestry. Uh, in other words, your mom's DNA code is written all over that little substance. It carries, it's the carrier of, of genetic information. So written all over that are, are your mother's traits and her family's traits. Now this, this, is, this is amazing. It really gets mind-boggling from here. It is said that every person has approximately 3 billion character of DNA. Ravi Zacharias, in his book Cry of the Heart, says it this way. He says, every strand of human DNA has enough specific information to cover 600,000 pages of information with 500 words on each page. <laughs> That's over 300 million. That's just one. And every person has three to five million within you, on your DNA. And even more amazing, there's not one like yours. Not one. No one has the same DNA as you do. The intricate details that your father brought when you were formed is equally amazing. Out of 200 to 500 million potential seeds that could have fertilized the ovum, you were selected. Isn't that amazing? That's, that is incredibly amazing. We are curiously and wonderfully created. And to me, this brings a lot of comfort to know that when the, the God who has the ability to design such intricacy and this delicate detail is the one who controls the opening and the closing of the womb. This causes me to worship. This causes me to worship. I would like to close with just giving five suggestions to couples or anyone who is facing infertility of some sort. Five suggestions that I would like to leave with you. First of all, thank God for what he has given you. It's easy for us to focus on the things that we don't have rather than the responsibility of what has been given to us. A grateful heart goes a long way in allowing peace to control our hearts through tough times. Don't ignore the pain. I'm not asking you to ignore the pain. I'm not asking you to ignore the desire. But also don't allow it to consume you. The scripture that says be thankful and bless his name. Why do we do that? Be thankful and bless his name. Why do we do that? Three things. Because the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endures to all generations. Maintain a thankful heart. Secondly, Keep your hands open when you pray. Demanding, placing demands in the face of God shrivels the heart and the soul and it causes me 
to tend to think that I am the recipient of bad luck. And that goes for anyone, any situation you're facing. It's not just those who are facing infertility, but any tough situation. When, when, we, when, we, when we hold a closed fist in the face of God, it, it tends to cause us to think that we've just been dealt a bad hand. When, when we pray with open hands, and, and again, this applies to any, anyone in any situation. When we, when we come to God with open hands, we allow God to continue to be God because he is God. He is God. You see, he's going to be God whether we allow him to be or not. And so when we open our hands, we're just aligning ourselves with his will. And that brings us peace. Thirdly, be good stewards of what has been given to your care. I mentioned it before, but God never condemns the steward for only having two talents over the one who had five. He promised, in fact, that he would give him another two talents because he was faithful with what had been given to him. So being good stewards of what we have been given uh, rather than lamenting over what has not been given. Fourth, don't believe the lie that God has gypped you out of a blessing. And I don't want to belabor this fact. I've already talked about this before. But again, that whole concept of equating things with God's blessings is a lie from Satan. And um, uh, God's fairness is equal to all. He said so in, in Matthew chapter 5. He says he makes the rain to fall on the just and on the unjust. His fairness goes to, goes to everyone. But his blessings are reserved for those whose hearts are patterned after him. So this certainly applies to the couple who is facing infertility. Last, I would just like to say that you consider the possibility that God is offering you other opportunities. God has not written the same story for every couple. He reserves the right to do so. I have not been called to walk in your shoes. You've not been called to walk in my shoes. I know that I have faced, I have, perhaps I have not faced the, the whole uh, situation of infertility, but I have faced some situations that have been very tough and painful, but they were mine to carry. This was what God knew I needed to make him more into his character, and he knows what you need to make you more into Christ's character. Can I trust God for that? That's the question. And then I would just like to say that perhaps he has allowed your circumstance to make you stewards of other opportunities. There are many couples who have invested their time and their energy in many other ways, and I'm blessed whenever I see that happen. I've seen foster care, I've seen adoption, I've seen couples getting involved in children's ministries, I've seen them get involved in kids clubs, I've seen them invest in many other ways that even are outside of the scope of children. 
What I would like to say is to give you one word of caution. If he is opening up other opportunities, the only word of caution I want to give to you is that we don't pursue other opportunities to fill the vacuum that only Christ can fill. Sometimes I think, and this again applies to just more than just the whole idea of infertility or the situation of infertility. It can go with anything else. Sometimes there's a, a vacuum inside of us and we try to fill it with something other than Christ. If we do, then it is an empty pursuit. Your life can be full in any circumstances. Jesus said, I have come to give life and I've come to give it more abundantly. Let's pray, and then, Keith, I'm going to just have you close. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you, and we ask that you would just take what has been shared this morning for your honor and glory, and we commit ourselves to you. Thank you, Lord God, for being the creator of life, and that we can trust you for this. Direct us, keep us, and minister grace to us, and we commit ourselves to you for your honor and glory. In your name we pray. Amen.